All right, so uh, obviously that proved that the music is more important than the sermon because the video and audio were good for the music and then cut out for the sermon. But we're back. Um, I was just noting if you want to comment below, as usual, you're more than welcome to do that. The two other announcements I, I wanted to make, uh, I, I mentioned the other day in, uh, in some posts that we're going to have a, a children's sermon, and you may wonder, okay, why, is that, why we haven't done that already. That's going to be a separate live stream after this because I know a lot of the kids won't want to sit there and watch the whole uh, sermon, obviously. So after this, about five minutes later, we'll have a, um, we'll have a live stream just of the children's sermon. And then immediately after that, we'll post a, um, a little activity sheet that the parents can do with their elementary school age kids so that uh, you can uh, uh, teach them uh, a little lesson about what, uh, what the uh, children's sermon was about and uh, get them into the Bible a little bit. A uh, second thing is I want to let everybody know uh, the deacons are meeting this evening and we're going to be talking about as we hopefully move toward uh, maybe sometime in the next two or three weeks, the stay-at-home order being lifted. Uh, we want to have a plan in place in terms of uh, where we go from there and what it looks like going forward. And so the deacons will be meeting tonight to try to uh, start to, to flush that out and figure out how exactly we're able to meet safely but uh, do the ministries that we can in person uh, here, hopefully, uh, before too long. Mark chapter uh, 9 is where we're going to look this morning. Uh, this is a longer passage. We're going to read uh, the story that starts in verse 14 down through verse 29. Um, and, and then we're going to unpack it and see what it has to say about our prayer life. So Mark 9, 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit who is, that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. <laughs> Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Bill Lacovey, a little over a decade ago, was fishing uh, off Atlantic City uh, when, as he was fishing, he pulled in uh, not a fish, but a, um, a, a big bag that looked like a trash bag. Um, as he pulled it in, it was floating out there. Um, he uh, opened it up, and it was filled with letters. Um, as he got to looking at the letters, they were all letters that had been written to a local pastor 
there in town. And as uh, they began to look through the different letters, they were all prayer requests. Apparently this pastor, maybe had a radio ministry or something like that, but he had asked for people to send him uh, prayer requests and he would pray over them. Unfortunately, tragically, the majority of the letters that were in that bag had never been opened. As, the, as Bill and his friends looked through it, there, there were some that were frivolous letters, like somebody wanting to or asking God to help him to win the lottery twice. Once, just $50,000 so he could kind of get things squared away and then hit the big one. But there were also very sincere, heartfelt, tragic letters, like the girl who had had an abortion and was begging God for forgiveness, the person who was in jail and said he was innocent and was asking for God to help him to get out. And the picture there of the letters being unopened as though the person, not as though, but showing that the person who was supposed to pray for them never had. They wondered why it had happened that way. Apparently the letters were perhaps thrown out when this pastor passed away and they were cleaning out his house. But the point was that he had never prayed for those requests that he said he was going to pray for. And oftentimes as we pray and our prayer requests go unanswered and we're the ones that are praying, we kind of feel like maybe the letter that we sent up to heaven went unanswered that we ask God to do a particular thing and then we don't see the answers that we want and we wonder why He's not coming through for us. In our passage this morning, we want to talk about um, seeing more answers to prayer and specifically one element of seeing more answers to prayer that's really important. As we look at verses 17 and 18, we have a situation here where somebody's prayer wasn't answered. In verse 17, it says, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws, his, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So this man comes with a request, and of course, as the disciples are asking God the Father to use his power to, um, uh, to drive out these demons as they are going from place to place, uh, they are asking in prayer, essentially. They're calling on God to use their power. Now, Jesus, at this point, had been the reason that he wasn't there. The man had brought his son to Jesus, but Jesus, earlier in this chapter, it tells us, was uh, in the encounter that was the transfiguration. And so this man comes. He wants this miracle. Jesus isn't there. He asks his disciples to do it, and they're not able to do it. The disciples pray for God's power to come through, and it doesn't. They ask for God's power in prayer, and it doesn't show up. So as we think about that, that's bad enough that they're asking for God's power to come through, and it doesn't. But then it gets even worse because it kind of seems like Jesus maybe adds a little guilt to their inability to bring about the answer. As you look at verse 23, Jesus says, as he's been interacting again with the man, this famous verse, If you can... Said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And so we see here that, and there's a similar thing up in verse 19, as Jesus says, You unbelieving generation. If, if it isn't bad enough that this man came and didn't get the answer that he wanted, then there seems to be a little bit of guilt thrown in over the fact that, you know, well, if you'd have just had more faith, if you'd have just believed more, if the disciples had believed more, you had believed more, then the miracle would have come. And so not only does he not get, did he not get his miracle before that, but then also 
he's and the disciples also are left maybe to feel a little bit guilty about the fact that it hadn't come around. So the question there is, what exactly is the point that Jesus is making here? Is it that they didn't muster up enough faith and if they had just believed harder and somehow pulled more faith out of their hearts that it would have happened? Well, I think it's not verse 23 that's the key verse in these in this passage in understanding what Jesus is trying to teach about prayer, but rather 28 and 29. Let's look down there. It says, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And so having uh, recognized the fact that they had failed, and of course they didn't want to say anything publicly while everybody was there, but after everybody leaves, Jesus did the miracle, everybody leaves, they go inside, it's just Jesus and his disciples, and they say, okay, what did we do wrong? Why didn't we get the answer that we thought we were going to be able to get? And then in verse 29, Jesus answers them. And he says, this kind can only, or I'm sorry, this kind can come out only by prayer. Some of the um, manuscripts read prayer and fasting. So what does Jesus mean by that? Does he mean, okay guys, you all danced around and thought somehow the miracle was going to happen, but you forgot to pray. Is that what he means there in that final verse, that they forgot to pray? No, we know that as they were coming before God and asking Him to do that miracle, they were praying uh, as they were asking for God's power to come through them to bring it, be able to bring this miracle. So it doesn't mean <coughs> it doesn't mean that G, that the disciples forgot to pray. So what does it mean? It means that as the disciples were praying in that moment, um, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They should have prayed, but there was prayer that should have led up to that. As, he, as the manuscript mentions prayer and fasting, that gives us a little bit of a hint of where he is going. It's not so much that they failed in that moment in the sense of that their words weren't good or that their, their desire wasn't sincere, but that they didn't have enough faith in that moment because of the lack of prayer that had come before that. The problem wasn't so much what they said in the moment. The problem was what they had not done before that. Jesus is saying in verse 29, this kind can only come out, if I can paraphrase and expand a little bit there, he's saying this kind can only come out uh, by somebody who has a deep prayer life, by somebody who is familiar with God, by somebody who is close to God. If I could put it this way, familiarity breeds faith. Familiarity breeds faith. When we are familiar with God, when we are close to God, when we have that relationship where we talk to Him regularly and our faith deepens because of that, and we, we are able to understand the way that God moves, we become people over time that have the kind of faith that can move mountains. On the other hand, when the only time that we pray is whenever something goes wrong, and so in that moment we're asking God to show up and do something, well, that's not going to show very much faith. It's not going to bring about very impressive results. When we have trust in relationships, that has to be built up over time. When I think of people that I've known for, let's say, 20 years, and I have seen <coughs> over time that they're a person who will show up on time, and there's somebody that I can count on, and there's somebody that's going to come through for me whenever I need them to, that amount of, of that length of a relationship and the familiarity that I have with them in seeing, okay, I can rely on them, they're going to come through for me, that over time builds trust. 
And that's what we need if we're going to have this deep kind of faith that we're talking about here, the faith that can move mountains and that can bring about great things. That doesn't happen just by conjuring it up. That doesn't happen just by trying real hard. But rather, it happens when over time we've been praying, we've seen God come through, it deepens our trust in God, it deepens our faith in God. We continue to do that. And over time, we become somebody who doesn't just wish when they want to have faith, but rather they have that rock-solid confidence of being able to say, I've seen God come through for me before, and I know, I know He's going to come through. Not because I'm able to conjure up a bunch of wishing, but because I've seen Him come through consistently over time, and the familiarity that I have with God, His faithfulness, His willingness to answer prayer, that familiarity breeds faith. And you can't fake that. You can't manufacture that in a single moment. Jesus had that because, as we read in a number of other passages, Jesus would go off and pray and talk to His Father by Himself. He was in a situation where He consistently saw God the Father both in Jesus' words and in Jesus' miracles. He saw God the Father flowing through Him. Jesus had that kind of familiarity that bred the faith that allowed Him to do miracles that the others couldn't do. The, faith, the prayer that is mentioned in that final verse is not the prayer that happened in that moment, but rather being a person of prayer that has that kind of faith that has been built up over many, many months and years of familiarity and trust and being close to God. Now, why does it work like that? Because when we just say um, that we're going to wish in that moment, we're not going to really walk with God, we're not going to be close to Him, that what we're saying is that we think God is awesome while thinking that obedience is optional. And when we do that, when we, think, when we say out loud, you know, God is awesome, but we think obedience is optional, then we become a hypocrite because we're going along and we're saying, listen, you know, God is great and I trust God while we're not living that out. If I really think that God is awesome, if I really think that God is, is praiseworthy, if I think that He is faithful, I think He's somebody that, that has my best interest in heart, then what's the very first thing I'm going to do after getting saved? I'm going to obey Him. I'm going to want to know everything that Jesus said, and I'm going to want to pursue the, the instruction that He gave because I think that God knows what's best for me and that God has given me guidance to be able to walk in the way that I should, and so I'm going to obey. And so the reason it doesn't work the other way is that when I've been saying with the way that I live my life, God is optional, God is optional, God is optional, and then I come to a moment where I really need Him to come through for me, and then I start praying, God, you're great, and you're, I believe in you, and I, we put great trust in you, we're being a hypocrite in that moment. Because we've been living a life that says, God, you're not number one. You're optional. I'm not going to worry about you unless I absolutely have to. That's not a person who's going to have prayers answered because they're being hypocritical. We have to live that life where obedience is part of the way that we live our lives because we trust God, because we have faith in Him. And so we live that out so that in that moment we are coming before Him as somebody who has genuinely lived out the idea that God is awesome. And so we need to live that way. And that allows us, as you look at verse 19, to understand why Jesus thought this was so important. Look at verse 19 with me. So the man has just complained. We read this earlier. He, he talks about the fact, I, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. And if you can do anything, you know, he's going to say in just a minute, you know, help us out. But he notes in verse 18 that the disciples could not give an answer. Look at what Jesus' response is. You unbelieving generation. Now we talked about that a minute ago. <laughs> That's similar 
to what he says down in verse 23. It's kind of pushing at their faith a little bit. But look at what he says after that. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now it's easy in that moment to look at that and kind of um, glance over those first two questions he asked and presume that there, he's basically saying the same thing twice. But he's not. He is not saying the same thing twice. And one of the statements has to do with what just happened. But the other statement, I believe, has to do with why Jesus thinks it's so important that they get this. Why is it so crucial that the disciples understand what they are being taught here so that as they go forward, they can do a better job of it? This is why it matters. Look at the two questions and the difference between the two. The two questions are, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Now the second thing, how long shall I put up with you, that speaks more to Jesus' frustration here. He wants them to get the truth. He wants them to understand the way that they need to live their life. And of course, he's going to teach his disciples down in verse 29 about the fact, what we've been talking about, that they need to be living a life of prayer. And so the second question has to do with that immediate frustration and the fact that they're not living the way that he wants them to. But the first question says something different, and it speaks to a bigger issue. He says, the first question is, how long shall I stay with you? What does that mean? What Jesus is bringing out there is the fact, why is this so important? I'm not going to be with you forever. Jesus knows his time is limited. And when he leaves, what is the main witness that people will have as to God's power, the ability of God to move in lives, the ability of God to, to answer incredible prayers and to touch people's heart, to bring the miracle that they want? Who's going to be the primary person? Well, we know we have the Scripture, and that's awesome. And, and, and the Scripture is important. We don't want to neglect that gift. But you and I know that most people aren't going to just sit down and read the Scripture. Where do they see God? In us. In the people who are claiming to be God's witnesses, to be God's ambassadors, to be the people of God. And when they look at us, and because we are living lives of hypocrisy and we're not obeying Christ all the time, when we come to a moment when we really need God to come through, and then we start praying, and they don't realize all we're doing in that moment is wishing. We don't really know that God's going to come through. We're just wishing because we've been living hypocritical lives where we have not been coming before God. We've not been gaining familiarity that breeds faith that we were talking about earlier. And in that moment, we pray, and God doesn't come through because we didn't really have faith. That doesn't just hurt them and us. It hurts the reputation of God. Because we are the people of God. We are the ones that they are looking to to say, show me that God is real. Show me that God will actually move in this world. And Jesus says there, how long shall I stay with you? It's a reminder to us that we need to get this right, not only for our own lives, I want to see answered prayer in my life. I want to see God move in a powerful way in my life. I want that for my own life and seeing what God can do. But I need to not just want it for my life, I need to also want it for those around me. So that as they look at my life, they can see this is what God can do. Because I'm actually close to God. Not just saying I'm close to God when I desperately need Him, but I'm living a life day by day and week by week where I'm actually close to God. And so in that moment, 
The familiarity that I have with God breeds a faith that brings miracles. And so in that moment, they look at me and they say, well, I saw God move through His life, so maybe God could move through my life too. Let's finish with that verse right there in the middle. Verse 23 and verse 24 that get our attention the most. The man says to Jesus, if you, I'm sorry, Jesus says to the man, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. That verse, as we talk about overcoming our unbelief, it doesn't happen in that moment where you try to conjure up a great amount of faith. It happens, as according to that final verse in that, in that passage, in all the days up before that, where we get deep with God, where we grow familiar with the way that He moves, so that in that moment we have the belief, we have the faith that God does great things. Not because we magically manufactured it, but because we, through our faith and our obedience in Christ, have seen that built up in our hearts to where we don't wish that God would act like that. We know that God will act like that because we have seen Him move again and again and again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for the times when You put up with us when we do things the wrong way. And Father, with, for many of us this morning, when it comes to faith, we've been doing it the wrong way. We've been trying to manufacture it magically in that moment that we need it. And I pray for all of us that are listening today who are Christians, Father, that we might recognize the need not only for our own lives, but for those around us to be faithful day in and day out, to build that familiarity that breeds the faith that brings the answer. Father, I pray that You would do this for us. And I pray in Jesus' name. And amen. Uh, I appreciate everybody being here this morning. I always want to issue an invitation, and that is if you're watching and you're a Christian and you recognize that you need to have that kind of faith in your life, I want to encourage you <laughs> right where you are to stop and ask whether you're being obedient the way that you need to be. And if not, maybe right there on your couch you need to say a prayer and ask God to help you to be more obedient. And you need to make a commitment to starting this week, starting today, to be more obedient to the teaching of Christ and to dig into His Word, to find out what He said, and then to live that out. Not as something that's optional, but as the guidance from God for your life. And then if you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian and you want the power of God in your life because you have answers that you need to see uh, come about, it begins by asking for Christ to come into your life, recognizing you're a sinner, asking for Christ to come into your life. And as He comes in, we receive His forgiveness and He brings a change of heart. If you desire to do that, you're welcome to pray that prayer right where you are. And then please let me know that you pray that so I can talk to you about next steps as you begin your walk of faith. Uh, we'll be back this evening with uh, another sermon and we'll do prayer time this evening for the different requests that are going on. But we will also be back, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, in about five minutes, we'll do a little children's sermon. We have the puppets this morning. And so grab the kids, all the elementary school kids, and uh, we'll be right here on the Madison Baptist Church Facebook page. And uh, we'll start that in just a few minutes. There'll be a countdown also for that, so you can kind of see that coming. Appreciate you being with us this morning. Hope to see you here in a minute and this evening. 
Obey Jesus in everything that you do. God bless you.